What's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Last week we started the section in the book of Romans that we've titled Sanctification, and sanctification is that process in which a believer in Jesus Christ is is set apart from sin and set apart to God. It's that process where God helps us to become more like Jesus Christ. And there are three important things that Paul shares with us in this section, really to, to help us understand what sanctification is and how that process practically works itself out in our lives. And the first thing that Paul shares with us is what we looked at last week in chapter 6. When we accept Jesus Christ into our life, our relationship to sin and to God changes. Because before we accepted Jesus, we were alive to sin, we were slaves to sin, we had uh, been under the power of sin, and we lived for sin and obeyed sin. Before we accepted Jesus, we were dead to God. He was not our master, we did not have his power to live, we did not uh, serve and obey him. But after we accepted Jesus, our relationship to sin and our relationship to God completely Change. Our relationship to sin changed because we became dead to sin, dead to the power of sin. We were no longer slaves to sin. We no longer had to obey it and do what we did before we accepted Christ. And our relationship to God changed because now we became alive to God, alive to the power of the Spirit of God within us that gives us the ability to resist temptation and to serve and obey God the way that He tells us to. So we are now dead to sin. We are dead to its power. We are alive to God and alive to his power. And because of this amazing change, we can have victory over sin. And so that's the first thing that we must grasp if we're going to grasp this process of sanctification is it is possible to have victory over sin. God can make us more like Jesus. We can be separated from sin and set apart to God. But The real question that we have to ask ourselves is, is how do we become victorious over sin on a daily basis? If victory is possible, how does that practically work out? What is it that we rely upon in order for that to happen in our life? Well, the answer to these questions really reveals how we are practically sanctified. And that's what Paul is going to deal with now in chapter 7 and chapter 8. In chapter 7 that we'll look at this morning, Paul is going to focus on what we shouldn't rely upon in order to be sanctified, in order to be set apart from sin to God, in order to be made more like Christ. What shouldn't we rely upon? And then chapter 8, he's going to deal with what we should rely upon in order for this to happen. So this morning, our focus is going to be on what we shouldn't rely upon to overcome sin in our life and to obey the law of God. And you know, there needs to be a whole chapter devoted to this because each one of us, as we go through this, you're going to see you are guilty. I am guilty of relying on the wrong thing. You see, one of the most common things that we rely upon to overcome the sin in our life One of the most common things that we try to rely upon to be obedient to God is our own strength, our own power. We think that in and of ourselves, we can somehow overcome our sin. We think that in and of ourselves, I have the ability, I have the power, I can do it, I can obey God. And so, so often we're depending on, relying upon ourselves, and we end up frustrated. We end up defeated. Why? Because it doesn't work. You and I don't have the power. We don't have the strength. We can't actually do it in and of ourselves. And so we often convince ourselves of that. We believe that lie. 
And then we leave ourselves just frustrated and defeated because it doesn't work. We so often wonder, what am I doing wrong? Why can't I get victory? Why am I not obeying God the way that I desire to? Well, the reason we can't get victory over our sin, the reason we can't obey God the way we want to, is because we're relying on the wrong thing. We don't have the strength. We don't have the power. But you know what? God gives us that through the power of the Holy Spirit. If we'll rely upon Him, it's possible to be victorious over sin. But when we rely upon ourselves, we will always be defeated. So chapter 8 is going to deal with how we rely upon the Holy Spirit, what we should do. But here in chapter 7, Paul's going to build a great case for why you and I should not depend upon and rely upon our own strength and power. He's going to start chapter 7 revealing some practical truths that we need to understand about this. But then Paul's is going to get very personal. The the second part of chapter 7 is his own personal struggle in this area. And sometimes we look at Paul and we think, man, that amazing man who did all these amazing things, surely he didn't have this struggle like I do. Surely he just overcomes sin and, you know, he just did everything the Lord wanted and he was always so obedient and it was so easy for him. But he's going to reveal here, no, that's not the case. He struggled with this and his big struggle with this battle was trying in his own strength and his own power to obey God and overcome sin. And he's going to share with us how frustrated and defeated he was because he came to realize it's not something that we can actually accomplish in our own strength and power. Remember back in chapter 6, the main focus was that we have a new relationship to sin. It used to be we were slaves of it, we had to obey it, but now we're dead to it, we're free from it, we can overcome it. But now Paul's going to start chapter 7 revealing we also have a new relationship to the law. Because we've accepted Jesus Christ, our relationship to the law and how we seek to do it, more importantly, has changed. If you remember back in chapter 6, verse 14, Paul told us, That sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? For you are not under law, but under grace. So he threw that out there. And now here in chapter 7, he's going to start by going into more detail of how we're not under law, but under grace. How the law doesn't have dominion over our lives like it used to. Romans 7, starting in verse 1, says this. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. So in chapter 6, Paul made very clear, hey, we died to sin, we've been freed from the power of sin when we accepted Christ, and now he says something similar has happened with the law. We have died to the law. We've been freed from the dominion of the law, freed from trying to keep the law in our own strength, in our own power. What Paul is sharing here is very important to understand because he's speaking about a complete change in the way in which we can now relate to God. You see, if you look through the Old Testament, you realize God gave the law, his perfect standard to the nation of Israel. But there was a problem. They couldn't do it. Here's my standard. Here it is. Here's the law. But they failed miserably because in their strength, in their power, they could never accomplish what the law said. They could never do what God commanded. And so God not only gave them the law, but he also gave them the sacrificial system because he knew you're not going to keep this. You're going to sin. And so the sacrificial system, you sacrifice animals to atone for and to cover over the sin that you are committing. So God didn't give us the law so that we could keep it. God didn't give us the law so that we could be perfect by it, so that we'd be made righteous by it. That was never its purpose. That was never its intent. God knew that we couldn't do it. He gave us the law just to reveal to us how much we fall short of his perfect standard. Now, as we looked at the section on sin, we saw that especially the religious Jews, they missed this purpose of the law. They thought, oh, no, no, I can be saved by the law. I can be made righteous by the law. I can do enough good. I can follow the law, and that will get me you know, in the good books with God, make me right with God. And Paul made very clear, no, it won't. You can't do it. You can't keep it. You'll never perfectly keep 
the law. And so, so they had this misunderstanding that they could receive salvation by trying to keep the law. But now Paul brings up, you know what, there's still a messed up understanding when it comes to sanctification. Those who would say, okay, yeah, I get it. I can't be saved by the law. I have to be saved only by faith in Jesus. Sometimes come to this process of now we're going to be sanctified. We're going to be made like Jesus. We're going to be set apart from the sinful things we do, set apart to God. We think, well, I'll do that by the law. That's how I'm going to do it. That's what's going to make this possible. And Paul's revealing, no, if you try in your your strength and in your power to keep the law in the sanctification process, you're just going to be left frustrated and you're going to be left defeated because it's not something that you can do. This is why Paul wants us to understand, hey, the law no longer has dominion or jurisdiction over you as it used to. And this is what he tells us. The law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. And Paul's sharing with us something very important. So he's saying, as long as you're alive, the law has dominion over you, but it loses that dominion once you die. But he's not speaking of our physical death. He goes on to give us an illustration to help us understand what he means by this. In verses 2 and 3, he's going to give us an illustration of marriage. For the woman who has the husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is freed from that law so that she is no longer an adulteress or no, she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. So according to the law, when two people get together to be married, it's meant to be for life. That's why even in our vows today, we say till death do us part. Now, if a wife, while her husband is still alive, she's still married to this person who's alive, goes out and marries another man, then according to the law, she's committing adultery. She can't do that. But if her husband were to die... So he's no longer alive, and she goes and does the same thing, goes out and marries another man. Now that's okay, because her husband's dead. And so now she's no longer committing adultery. It's something that is perfectly fine for her to marry again. Why? Because her husband's dead. It's not okay while her husband's still alive. She's still bound to the law of that marriage while her husband's living, but she's freed from the law of marriage once her husband dies. Now, Paul's not doing a teaching on marriage. He's just using this illustration to help us understand the importance of the fact that she's freed once there's death, but she's bound when the husband is still alive. And in verse 4, he goes to make his point of this illustration, which says this, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who raised, was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. So Paul uses this marriage analogy to help us understand something very important about our relationship to the law has changed. You see, like the woman who's bound to the law of her husband as long as her husband lives, we are bound to the law as long as we are alive to the law, as long as it lives in us. The only way the woman could be Uh, Free to marry someone else was if her husband died. The only way that we can be free from the law is if we die to it. And that's exactly what happened. In order to escape our relationship with the law, in order to have a new relationship with Jesus, we had to die to the law. Now remember last chapter, Paul gave that wonderful illustration of baptism and death and and that we relate to Jesus' death and resurrection. We spiritually die with Him and we're raised to new life. And that's why we're told that we are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. We are now dead to our old life. And Paul is bringing up this reality. We literally spiritually died. And so we're dead to the law. It no longer has that uh, reign over us. But now we didn't just die to be free to ourselves. No, we died so that we could marry another. We were married to the law, so to speak. And now we are free to marry another. And that is Jesus Christ. We have a whole new relationship, which is something the Bible speaks of often as we are the bride of Christ. And we have this wonderful privileged relationship. Why? Because we're now dead to the law so that we can now have a new relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, Paul goes on to tell us that there's two new things that happen. 
Things that couldn't happen while we were trying to do the law in our own strength and power because we have this new relationship with Jesus, two new things are possible for you and me. The first thing is this in verses 4 and 5. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions were aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. The first new thing that this new relationship with Jesus should produce is fruit to God. And this is something that we could not produce when we were trying to keep the law in our own strength, and our own power, because we couldn't do it. And so we just kept sinning. And so we weren't producing fruit to God, we were producing fruit to death. That was our problem. And so we're like, oh, we're trying in ourselves and we're trying in our strength. We're trying in our power to produce something good, to produce something that God would want. And we keep failing. Well, why? Well, Jesus says, because you're relying on yourself and you don't realize the new relationship you have with me and the power that I now give to you through my spirit is what enables you to bear fruit to God, bear the right kind of fruit. You see, when the Bible speaks of bearing fruit to God, it almost always is referring to the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 23 and 24 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. When we accept Jesus Christ, one wonderful thing happens. We are now indwelt by the Spirit of God. And one of the things that the Spirit of God naturally does within us as we rely upon Him, instead of relying upon ourselves, is He starts to produce in us spiritual fruits like love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things, the natural byproduct of the work of the Spirit. The work of our flesh is the opposite. It's all sinful stuff, but the work of the Spirit is godly stuff. And we can start bearing fruit to God if we'll stop relying on ourselves and start relying upon the Spirit that's in us. And so the first thing that Paul reveals is this new relationship with Jesus because we're dead to trying to keep the law in our own strength and power enables us to actually bear the kind of fruit that God wants of us. But it also enables us to do something else in verse 6. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not the oldness of the letter. So Paul's saying, hey, the other thing that this new relationship with Jesus does is it changes the way in which we serve. Instead of trying to serve God based upon the oldness of the letter, which is the law, I'm going to serve you by trying in my own strength and power to keep the law. Oh, that's what's going to make you happy. And it's like, well, no, it's not because you can't do it. Instead, we should serve in the newness of the Spirit, realizing when I'm relying upon and dependent upon the Spirit of God, that is when I can be victorious over sin. That is when I can be obedient to what God has, because in the strength of the Spirit, it's possible. In the strength of the flesh, it's not. And so Paul's bringing up this reality of not only can we bear fruit, but we also can serve the way that God's always intended us to, because now he's given us the power through his spirit to actually make it possible. Now, Paul's going to go into great deal uh, detail about this in chapter 8, about what the Spirit of God does and, and how that works. And so we'll wait till we get to that chapter uh, to deal with that in more detail. But just realize in these first six verses Paul wants us to understand we've died to the law so that we can have a new relationship now with Jesus. A relationship that's not based on the oldness of the law, but on the newness of the Spirit. A relationship that enables us to serve God through the power of His Spirit, which ultimately enables us to bear spiritual fruit. This is where God wants you and I to be. In this place where we're bearing spiritual fruit, where we're completely relying upon His Spirit, not upon ourselves. Where we trust in His strength and power, not upon our own. Now Paul knows that what he just shared about the law will cause some people to conclude some wrong things 
about the law. He shared some stuff about sin. He shared some stuff about law. And now he realizes there's some of you who are going to take what I've just said and come to the completely wrong conclusion. And so now he's going to pose a question and an answer to help those who might have a wrong thinking about what he just said and to clarify this. So verse 7, he says this. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. Remember back in chapter 6, Paul said, well, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? And now he says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? You see, someone might think, okay, Paul, you seem to be saying that the law and sin are on par with one another. So, you know, since we died to both of them, are you trying to say that they're the same? Are you trying to say that the law is actually sin? And Paul's answer to that question is certainly not. That is not what I'm declaring by any means, shape, or form. And now in verses 7 through 12, he's going to expound upon this answer. Instead of just saying certainly not and leaving it, he's going to share why there's a certainly not. He wants us to understand the difficulty is not with the law. The difficulty is with us, with our sinful nature. That's really where the problem lies. And so in 7 through 12, he's going to share two things the law does for us. One thing it can't do for us because of our sin. And then the ultimate answer to this question is, well, then what is the law? And he's going to share this wonderful truth of how good it really is. So the first thing that the law does for us in verse 7, Paul says, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covet. So the first thing that law does for us is it reveals our sin. The law revealed to Paul how exceedingly sinful his sin actually was. It was like an x-ray of Paul's heart revealing how wicked he was. You see, the, the, the law is God's perfect standard. And as we look at that perfect standard, we start to see it reveals how sinful we are, how far we are from attaining and meeting the standard that God has established. You see, a lot of people, they think, you know what, I'm doing pretty well. I'm a good person. But they hold to that based off the standard of society. Oh, according to society's standard, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I'm better than you, that's for sure, and I'm better than you. And so we, we, we kind of have this mindset of, hey, I'm doing pretty well if the standard I hold to is society's standard. But Paul's saying that's not the standard. When you reflect the standard of God and realize perfection is staring you down, then all of a sudden you realize, oh, wow, I am someone who is not good. I am someone who is sinful. I have a lot of issues. It reveals this in us. Now, some people respond to this by saying, well, there must be something wrong with the law if it reveals my sin. No, there's nothing wrong with the law. The thing that's wrong is you and me. It's just revealing our problem. It's revealing our sin. It's not the law that has the problem. It's us that has the problem. So the first thing the law does for us, it reveals our sin. The second thing the law does for us here is in verse 8. But sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire, for apart from the law, sin was dead. The second thing that the law does for us is it arouses sin. You know, when we're told not to do something, it arouses that sin within us that says, what? You're going to tell me no? Well, then I want to do that. There's something within us. That's why Paul says, sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. You know, near my home growing up, there was a recycling plant and... Um, Near, on it had these big tall fences and, you know, a big sign that says, no trespassing, stay out. And one day my friends and I, as we're walking by this plant, you know, we see this sign over and over again on the fence. And we decide, you know what, we're climbing this fence. We're going in there. And, and we didn't want to go in there so that we could have some recycled junk. We went in there for one reason and one reason alone. The sign said, don't do it. And we're like, you're not telling me not to do it. I'm going in there. And it's just this, that sinful desire within us that when we're told, no trespassing, stay out. No, you can't do this. No, you can't have that. There's something within us that says, oh, yes, I can. I'm going to do it. I'm going to rebel. And the law is just arousing that. 
When we're told no, there's something within us that says, what? That's not going to happen. You know, in American history, the Prohibition Act to make drinking alcohol illegal really didn't stop drinking alcohol at all. Actually, for many, it made it more attractive because it aroused the sin inside of them that says, oh, it's illegal, great. Now I really want to do it. When the law tells us not to do something and our sinful desire within us says, I'm going to do it anyway, guess what? It's not the law's fault. There's nothing wrong with the law. And this is someone might say, well, if it's arousing my sin, surely it has a problem. No, it just reveals that you've got a real problem. It's just showing that within you, there's some serious issues that need to be addressed. You see, the reality is when God draws a boundary, there's something within us that says, I want to step over that. I want to go beyond that. The fact that he draws the boundary, there's no fault in God. There's no fault in the boundary. The fault is in us, in our sin, in the sinful hearts that we have. So now that Paul has shared two things the law does for us, he's going to share one thing the law can't do, something that Paul wanted it to do, something that many people hope it can do, but because of our sin, it will never do. Verses 9 through 11. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin taken occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it killed me. Therefore the law is holy and the commandment holy, just, and good. Notice that Paul expected the law, like many people do, to bring life. Oh, I'll keep it. I'll do it. I'll do it perfectly. It'll bring life. But guess what? As we looked at in the chapter of sin, the law can't bring life unless you keep it perfectly. But the thing that I thought would bring me life actually brought me death. Why? Because my sin keeps me from actually living up to the righteous standard of the law. Paul discovered that the law cannot bring us life because of our sin. And this is something that's so important to realize. We looked at this in detail in the sin chapter. If we're seeking to get eternal life, the life that God can only bring through faith in Jesus through trying to keep the law, we're looking in the wrong direction. It's never going to happen. But once again, there's nothing wrong with the law. It's us. It's our sin that's the problem. Sin brings death. And the reason that we're not having life is because we're sinners. Well, now that Paul has made clear, hey, The law does these things and there's nothing wrong with it. The real problem is us and our sin. Now he's going to make something very clear because he posed that question. Is the law sin? Certainly not. Well, let me make it even more emphatic by saying this about the law in verse 12. He says, therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy, just and good. For those of you who think I'm saying the law and sin are on par, that I'm saying the law is sinful, you've missed it. That's not what I'm saying at all. Paul is making it very clear there is nothing wrong with the law. Actually, the law is something that is wonderful. You have to understand, Paul says, it's holy, it's just, and it's good. It's God's perfect standard. There's nothing wrong with it. The problem is never with the law. The problem is with you and with me and with our sin. Now, since Paul told us we need to die to the law, he also anticipates another question. And so he's going to pose this question. He's going to answer this question in verses 13 and 14. Notice what he says. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Since Paul told us we need to die to the law, and he told us that the law is good, he he comes to this conclusion that some people might ask, well, how's then what is good, speaking of the law, become death to me? The New American Standard translates it a little more clearly. It says this, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? You see, Paul realizes people are going to come to this thing and will say, okay, is it the law then that kills me? Is that which brings death to my life? Paul's saying, certainly not. Back in the Garden of Eden, what did God say brings death? If you disobey me and eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, sin will ultimately bring death. It's sin that causes death. The law does not bring death. And so those who were thinking that, they missed it. And so Paul expounds by saying, but sin, that it might appear sin, 
was producing death. It's sin producing death in me through what is good, the law. So that through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. All the law did is just show me how sinful I really was. It never produced death. It just showed how guilty and sinful I am. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. So the problem is not the law. The problem is us. But here is the issue that we have with the law. The law has no power to help us. That's what we hope. Oh, if I just kind of had this relationship with the law, surely it can give me the power to actually do it. No, it can't. All it does is say, here's the standard. Now you go keep it. Oh, I can't keep it, law. Can you give me some help? Nope. Can't do anything to help you. I can't do anything to give you power. I have no power to give you. All I am is a standard that God's perfection is here, and you now have to keep it. And that's the issue with the law that we don't like. We try in our own strength, and we try in our own power, and then maybe we look to the law to help, but the law can't help because the law doesn't have any power to give us. The law just tells us what's right and what's wrong. It's God's standard that we can't achieve in ourselves. Warren Wiersbe said this about the law. Instead of being a dynamo that gives us power to overcome, the law is a magnet that draws out of us all kinds of sin and corruption. You know, we looked at it thinking, oh, it's going to be this dynamo power that's going to help us do what God wants. But then we discover all it does is just reveal our sin and arouse our sin, and it just draws out of us more sin. It doesn't do anything to help us overcome it. It just shows us how guilty we are of breaking it. Paul recognized this reality. The law cannot do anything to help him overcome sin. And this is what he says in verse 14. For we know the law is spiritual. It's good. But there's a problem. I'm carnal. Sold under sin. Hey, the law is good. It's spiritual. But I realize there's something in me. I'm a sinful man. I have carnality within me. And that's the real issue. I'm sold under sin. When Paul says he's sold under sin, he's saying he's like a man arrested for a crime and thrown into jail. The law will only help him if he's innocent. But Paul knows that he's guilty. And now the law argues against him, not for him. If you're innocent of a crime, the law is good. It can argue for your innocence. Hey, he didn't do this. But if you're guilty, the law is not helpful to you. All it's going to reveal is, yes, you are guilty. That's all it can do. It can't help you overcome those things. So Paul starts this chapter by telling us when we accept Jesus, we die to that old relationship of trying to rely upon ourselves and our own strength to accomplish the law. But now we have a new relationship with Jesus and we can rely upon His Spirit, His power, His strength. And when we rely upon the strength of Jesus, it enables us to bear fruit to God. It enables us to serve Jesus the way that we can never do on our own and our own strength and our own power. Now, we don't die to the law because there's something wrong with the law. It's spiritual, holy, just, and good. We die to the law because in and of ourselves, we can't do it. We must now have a new relationship, a new marriage to Jesus in order to do what God says, in order to overcome our sin and obey what he wants. Now, Paul, he shares this truth, but he realizes something. It's easier said than done. And that's so much of the Bible, isn't it? When we hear these wonderful truths, oh, you can have victory, there's this and that, and we all, oh, that's great knowledge. But it's easier said than done. It's nice to know that it's possible, but it's a lot harder to actually achieve it and do it. And so now Paul, as he shares this wonderful truth with us, is going to share his own struggle, his own personal issue with trying to do this, realizing it is easier said than done. I have struggled with it in my own life. I have tried in my own strength and my own power to do these things, to overcome my sin and to do what God's law says. And I have been frustrated and I have been defeated and I have this battle going within me. And he's going to share all this with us. And as you hear these things, I'm sure you're going to be like, yes, I can relate to that. Yes, that's what happens with me. And look at Paul and look at how God used him and look at the man that he became and let that bring you comfort because he struggles just like you and I. He has the same battle that we do. This isn't easy. It's real. It's something we need to understand. He starts with the frustration, the frustration that I'm sure many of you can relate to. Verse 15. 
For what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that is in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Paul's frustration is twofold. It's a frustration that I'm sure each one of us have. Oh, the the, the things that I want to do, the things that I know are right, the things I know that are godly, I don't do them. And the things that I know are sinful and wrong and, and that I should stay away from, those are the things I find myself doing. There's this twofold problem. I'm not doing what I should, and I am doing what I shouldn't. But notice that Paul's problem isn't a desire problem. It's not like, well, I don't have any desire to do godly things. All I desire is sin, and that's why I do it. No, he's not a desire problem. He he wants to do what's right. And as believers, we have that. We want to do what's right, but that doesn't always get us to that point of doing what's right. His problem isn't knowledge. He's not ignorant. He doesn't have a, he's not like, well, I don't really know what God wants. I don't know what's right and wrong, and that's my issue. No, it's it's not a knowledge issue. It's not a desire issue. He knows the right thing because he knows he's not doing it. His problem is lack of power. How to perform what is good, I do not find. See, here's the issue that Paul has. The lack of power is because he's looking to himself, his own strength, his own power to do this. I don't find it in me. I'm trying. I'm trying to do what's right and good. I'm trying to, here's the law. It says, do this, do this, don't do that. I'm trying, but I just don't find the power in myself to accomplish it. And so instead of doing what I should do, I end up doing what I shouldn't do. I think one of our biggest problems in this area of sanctification is that we believe that our own strength and power, through that, we truly can live for God. In my own strength and power, I can overcome sin. In my own strength and power, I can be victorious. I can do it. And unfortunately, there's a lot of books that are written for the church that are full of this nonsense. And it's unbiblical. Oh, you are strong enough. You have the power. You can do this. You know, you can do this. You can accomplish this. You can get victory. And lots of people buy it and they make these people millionaires. But the bottom line is it goes against the Bible. No, you can't. In and of yourself, you will never find victory. In and of yourself, you will never overcome your sin and do what God says. It's not possible. The formulas that all these books ultimately come back to is that you can accomplish this in your own strength and power. And that formula is a recipe for disaster. You see, the reality is that Paul tells us in verse 18, for I know that is in me, that's in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Oh, (laughs) you must have had a little misprint there, Paul. You must have meant like, some things bad dwell there. You know, I mean, surely there, there's plenty of good. There's just a few things that are bad. I mean, that's not really what you meant, surely. No, that is what he meant. That is what the word of God teaches. Here's the truth that we so desperately need to understand. In our flesh, nothing good dwells. That means in our flesh, we cannot do the things that God desires of us. Our flesh cannot give us the power. It cannot give us the resources to accomplish what God wants for our life. We cannot resist sin through it. We cannot be obedient through it because in our flesh, nothing good dwells. Understanding this truth is the first step to dealing with this struggle because the struggle is real. But the reason it's such a struggle is because we bought into a lie that, oh, in myself, I can accomplish something. In myself, I can be victorious. In myself, I can do it. And when we remove that reality, when we understand, no, I cannot, the struggle becomes a lot easier because it's just a recognition, yes, I in myself could never overcome sin, could never obey God the way that I'm supposed to. In my flesh, nothing good dwells. He goes on to verse 18 to say, for to will is present with me, but how to perform what is will, to perform what is good, I do not find. See, Paul, hey, the will is there. I want to do it. 
You know, as believers in Jesus, I mean, we want to do what's right. Yes, I want to be a godly spouse. Yes, I want to be a godly parent. Yes, I want to be a godly man or a godly woman. I want to live the way that God has me to live. I want to do these things. I want to love my enemy. I want to treat that person the right way. Their will is there. That's not the issue. It's, okay, the power to actually fulfill it. That's the problem because we're looking to the wrong source. John 15, verse 5, Jesus says something that is very important and connects with what we're looking at. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. We love to just end right there. Oh, yes, that's great, Jesus. But without me, you can do nothing. What? (laughs) Once again, we hear this word nothing and we think, no, 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 Jesus, I can do lots of things without you. I try all the time. I mean, surely I can accomplish something without you. No. Without me, you can do nothing. And Jesus builds this analogy. Hey, I'm the vine, and you're this little branch. And if you take a grapevine and you break the branch off, guess what? That thing is never going to produce fruit because all the resources, all the nutrients it needs to produce fruit comes from being attached to the vine. And so Jesus is giving this illustration. You just you, you know, are no longer attached to me. Guess what? You're not going to bear any fruit. Without me, you can't do anything of Godly value, bearing fruit that would be something that God would want. When we try in our own, we always fail. Paul goes on to say in verse 19, For the good that I will do, will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will to do, that I practice. You know, as Paul relied upon his flesh, he found instead of doing the good things that he wanted to do, he found himself doing the sinful, evil things that he didn't want to do. And this is the frustration. This is the problem. When we rely upon our flesh, when we rely upon our own strength and power, this is what we're left with. I try so hard to do what's right, and at the end of the day, I'm always finding myself doing what's wrong. Why? Well, because we're relying on the wrong thing. Now Paul is going to describe, after he's given us his frustration, he says, well, the real issue is i got a battle going on. The battle that Paul is facing is the same battle that you and I face as well. Notice what he says in verses 20 through 23. Now if I do what I will not to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Paul has a battle going on within him. It's the battle that you face. It's the battle that I face. There's a part of Paul that is his new nature, that is indwelt by the Spirit of God, that desires to do what is godly and good and right. But there's another part of Paul, his old flesh, that still desires to do what is sinful and wrong. And he has both. He has to deal with both. Oh, I have the Spirit who wants to do what's right. I have the flesh who wants to do what's wrong. And now there's this battle inside of me as to what am I going to follow? What am I going to do? And the answer to that really depends on what am I going to rely upon? Because if it's on me, (laughs) if I'm relying on my flesh to beat my flesh, guess what? I'm going to lose that battle every time. Paul describes it this way in Galatians 5.17. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. There it is. There's the battle. There's the issue. I don't do the things that I wish because there is a battle within me. And even though my spirit wants to do what's right, my flesh wants to do what's wrong. And too often I give into the flesh. Why? Because I'm not relying upon the spirit to overcome it. I'm not relying upon the spirit and the power of the spirit and the strength of the spirit to overcome the desires of the flesh, the temptations of the flesh. When I rely upon me, I'm always doing the things that I wish I wouldn't. That's Paul's problem. He recognizes he keeps losing the battle because he's relying on himself. D.L. Moody said this, When I was converted, I made this mistake. I thought the battle was already mine, the victory already won, the crown already in my grasp. 
I thought the old things had passed away, that all things had become new, that my old corrupt nature, the old life was gone. But I found out after serving Christ for a few months that conversion was only like enlisting in the army, that there was a battle on hand. And this is the reality that we sometimes come to. Oh, I gave my life to Jesus. Everything's going to be a bed of roses and so easy and wonderful. And then we realize, no, I've just entered a pretty serious battle. A battle between my flesh and my spirit. A battle between my spirit and the things of this world. A battle between my spirit and Satan. There's this battle that's raging and I have to deal with it. And you have to deal with it every day. You know, I've been in this helpless and frustrating place that Paul found himself in. Knowing what's right, knowing what I should do, having the desire to do it, and constantly failing. And wondering, why can't I get victory? Why can't I do these things? Why can't I overcome these sins? And finally, God just helped me to see, because you keep trying to do it in your own strength, in your own power, and it won't work. Rely on me. Trust in me. That's the only way it's going to happen. Okay, God, thank you. And then I'll have victory for a little bit. But guess what? I slip back into trying to do it on my own strength and my own power. You know, I, I think, how stupid am I? But yet, I think we're all stupid in this way of like, Lord, we realize, okay, I got to rely on you. And maybe we do it for a week or a month or maybe a year. And then all of a sudden we start coming back to, well, you know, now that I've been so victorious, I bet you I can handle some of this on my own. I bet you I can do some of this in my own strength. Well, God, I pray for this really big thing. But, you know, this smaller thing, I don't need to pray about that because I think I can handle that on my own. I can deal with that in my strength. And then we seek to and we fail and we fall and we have this continual battle because we're not willing to fully grasp the truth that in my flesh nothing good dwells in me I can't do it if it's not me relying completely on the power of God I will not accomplish it the only way to be victorious over sin is relying completely on the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Now, there's a debate among Christians concerning if Paul was a Christian during the experience he describes. Some look at this struggle with sin and they just say, hey, Paul must have been talking about before he accepted Jesus. And other believers, you know, they speak about the fact that, you know, this is just a struggle that believers have in sin. I personally, especially with a lot of things that are said here, believe that Paul is a believer and he's speaking of this struggle. But in a sense, it's an irrelevant question for the struggle is for anyone who tries to obey God in their own strength. The experience of this struggle is definitely real for the believer when they try to obey God in their own strength and their failures before it. And it's something the unbeliever can only do because they don't have the spirit of God. So they're only trying to obey God in their own strength. And they're always going to be defeated and frustrated. And that's why they need a savior in Christ. But Paul now, this frustration, this battle, it brings him to a question a very important question. He's been trying in himself and it hasn't worked. Notice what he says in verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Oh, wretched man that I am. The Greek word for wretched here is literally wretched through the exhaustion of hard labor. Paul is worn out. I've been working, I've been trying, I've been doing all this in my own strength and power, and it hasn't worked. I keep failing. Oh, wretched man that I am. The entire tone of this statement shows Paul is desperate for deliverance. He's overwhelmed with a sense of his own powerlessness, his own sinfulness. I'm sure that you have felt this way. I know I have. Trying and trying to do what's right, trying to stop doing what's wrong, and just being in that place of frustration and I can't do it. After declaring what he is, Paul asked a very important question Who will deliver me from this body of death? Notice that Paul's perspective finally turns. From verse 13 to now, we've seen I, me, I, me over 25 times. I mean, he just refers to himself over and over and over again. I've tried, tried, tried in myself so many times. And now I realize I need to turn to someone else. There's got to be something outside of me that will give me the power to do this because what's in me, in my own flesh, surely can't. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've failed enough to know it won't work. And so now he turns 
to someone else outside of himself. Who will deliver me? Notice he doesn't say, how am I going to deliver myself? He realized, I can't. It's not how am I going to deliver myself. Who is going to deliver me because I can't deliver myself? And now he brings the wonderful answer to the question that ends this chapter. Verse 25 says this, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Paul realized he couldn't do it in his own strength. He needed help. And so where does Paul find this help? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's where the help is. He came to realize that, hey, I got to stop trying in myself and start relying on Jesus and the power he gives me. That is the source of strength. That is the source of victory. That is how I can be able to overcome my sin and obey what God wants me to do. It is Jesus who's going to deliver Paul. Jesus who's going to give Paul all he needs to do what God has called him to do. You know, you and I need to come to this place that Paul did, a place that recognizes I can't do it. I can't live for God in my own strength. I can't overcome my sin in my own strength. I have failed over and over and let that be a lesson to me that I need something outside of me to empower me to do this. And that power only comes through the Holy Spirit. If you want to overcome the sin in your life, you want to be obedient to God's law, Paul makes very clear in this chapter, quit looking to yourself. Quit looking to your strength. Quit looking to your power. That is what you should not rely upon. It won't work. We must rely upon Jesus, His power, and His strength. And the wonderful truth of that, Philippians 4.13 says, I can do not some things, not most things, all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is the reality when we think, well, how can I be victorious? I've struggled with this sin for years. Or how can I you know, do this? It just seems so difficult. Well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not through my own strength, not through my own power. He can give it to me if I'll rely upon Him and look to Him. It is possible. That's the good news of victory and sanctification. Let me finish by sharing a quote from Warren Wiersbe. He says this, Everything the Bible says about the old nature is negative. No good thing. The flesh profited nothing. The confidence in the flesh. If we depend on the energy of the flesh, we cannot serve God, please God, or do any good thing. But if we yield to the Holy Spirit then we have the power needed to obey His will. The flesh will never serve the law of God because the flesh is at war with God, but the Spirit can only obey the law of God. Therefore, the secret of doing good is to yield to the Holy Spirit. And that's the challenge. Are we going to yield to the Spirit? Are we going to rely on the Spirit? Or are we just going to keep yielding to ourselves, relying on ourselves, and finding the same result, frustration and defeat, because we can't do it? Victory is possible only when we recognize it doesn't come through us. It comes through what Jesus gives us in the power of His Spirit.